This is Dr. D with Dr. D's Social Network Podcast, and we have national recording artist Shem Shia with us here today. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. I found uh, your music very interesting, and I was, I think, on the site matchmaker.fm. I think that's where I found you. And I said, oh, this person seems really interesting to me, and I love musicians. So take us back to music in your life growing up? Well, music was a huge part of my life. I grew up as a classical pianist and the oldest of three girls. And my parents really young put me in piano lessons and it just became my life. And my little sisters played violin, they played piano, they sang. And so I was playing my own my own music, but then I was also accompanying them. And honestly, we even like wrote songs together and would write dances and do all mm-hmm. that. So music was always a really big part of my life, even though honestly, my parents aren't musical at all. So it was a bit surprising, I think, for them. But it was awesome. That's actually pretty interesting because um, my brother is a full-time recording artist and uh, we have zero musicality in our family. <laughs> so, oh, wow. That's incredible. I don't know how that happened. You know, like... And he always talks about it. He's like, I don't know where this came from. But so that's very interesting that your parents were doing that. Did they just want you to start piano? It's kind of like a lot of parents, something different to do, a musical skill. Totally. My mom is an educator. So she knew she knew that if I was good at music, I'd be good at math. And that's all that mattered mm. to her. So oh. so that's why she put me there. And it it did. It helped. It helped with school for me, I think, a lot. Wow, that's interesting. So did when you first started doing it, were you like, I really like this, like this is something I want to pursue further? It, yes and no. She definitely had to bribe me to practice at various <laughs> points in my life. And 
but it was also something that always meant so much to me. I I always came back to the piano and I had this amazing piano teacher growing up too who just inspired me so much and I think we had a lot of really like a lot of similarities. So she gave me cool things to play and I just like gobbled it up. Uh but I, I, it was always up and down because I always thought, can I actually do this? Like, is this something I can actually pursue and be successful at and, you know, make money or do any of those kind of things? So I always had an up and down relationship with whether I wanted to do it professionally. But I did go to music school thinking that I wanted to be a classical pianist professionally. Oh, interesting. So how did that evolve from classical pieces of music to um or basically, how did your musical inspiration started to change? How did that change over time as you started getting into different versions of music? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a huge fan of all different types of music. And even when I was deep into classical piano, I was still listening to pop music and listening to indie rock and all these and lots of different genres. And I went to music school, I realized I wasn't going to be a classical pianist. It just wasn't where I fit for lots of different reasons. And I didn't know where I was going to fit. And so I, I actually left music for a while. I had to kind of get out because that world is so, it's very disciplined. And I kind of rebelled and had to had to leave it. But pretty soon after, I started playing in bands and playing music just on my own and that's when I really just started exploring other genres and figuring out, okay, where do I fit in? What, what is it that I love about this that I can't let go? And what is it that I can bring, really? Yeah, it's, I'm always fascinated by like artists and how they create and what they're influenced by. What are some of the bigger bands or artists that you were, you were influenced by growing up? I'm influenced by... Absolutely everything. Honestly, jazz has been a huge influence in my life. Thelonious Monk is like my favorite. Oh my gosh! Ever, amazing. yeah. And my music sounds nothing like like Thelonious Monk. <laughs> <laughs> so I think people are like, wait, what is this? How does this fit? Yeah. Um, but also, you know, pop music. I love Sia and Lord, and um, I grew. Up, I also listen to a lot of Pavement, which is uh, like a weird band that also sounds nothing like what I write. <laughs> but it was always about the lyrics, the melody also sounding different and the combinations. That's that's what always hooked me in are the different combinations of things. And so that's one of the ways I try to bring that in. I try to bring in my classical music a little bit in my songwriting. And it's not always obvious, but to me I I can still hear yeah. it. Yeah. How how was it how does that come in? Like for a person who doesn't hear that, or maybe it's not obvious, how is it obvious to you in doing that? I mean, honestly, a couple of the songs that are even out right now, I started writing by playing around with classical music. Remember, I pulled out a Scarlatti piece. I just like opened a mm -hmm. piano book, started playing it. I was like, okay, this is a cool chord. What if I did a piano part that kind of sounds like this, that just has like these three notes repeated, repeated, repeated? Oh, okay, this is cool. And then that brings me into somehow a cool melody. And then honestly, most of the classical stuff ends up getting dropped, but sometimes the chord changes stay or the way that the piano gets played stays. I see. I see. And so it kind of goes into your process. Like, do you have like a ritual or a certain like environment you like to be in to create music? Yeah, I try not to be such a prima donna about it, but I definitely am yeah. because I, I, for me, my piano, I still have my piano that I grew up with that my parents got me when I was 11. I've taken it with me every place I've moved, basically. And so sitting down to my real piano helps me a lot. I have written music on keyboards and other things, definitely, but there's something about that instrument that just grounds me and makes me feel really safe and honestly really creative and wanting to explore what's available that in the Dude. bathtub and the, whoa, Those whoa, are the two bathtub. places <laughs> <laughs> or let's explore the bathtub here what is it it's just the tranquility of the bathtub i'm like totally especially for lyric writing because i need something that just where i can just try to get out some i have my phone out usually and i'll just be typing away on my phone 
to get out different ideas or not worry so much about rhymes, not not get so caught up into what it is. You know, things honestly sound better when you're in the bathtub. And when I'm writing music, <laughs> I often like, I'm like, oh God, this is terrible. Oh no, this is awful. I get into that space hmm. e- more easily if I'm not in the bathtub. In the bathtub, everything sounds so romantic and <laughs> lovely and, you know, I'm not as hard on myself. Bathtub stuff here. I, the way to make music, you know? <laughs> exactly. So you use technology. I'm interested. You kind of use kind of this older art form in a sense, and then you kind of mix that sounds like with writing on your phone. How does that work for you? You know, I, I, I do different things in terms of trying to use the old technology and the new technology for, for me, the fact that I use my phone is because it's the most convenient thing and it won't get wet in the bathtub. And also it has everything all in one place. And I, I tend to lose, mm-hmm. I'm worried about losing things. I'm always worried like, oh, I don't want to lose this lyric. I want to keep it organized, even though I'm not that organized, but I'm still worried about losing it somehow. And having it electronically makes me feel better about it. But the other day I was having problems with some lyrics. And so I pulled out index cards and I just wrote a bunch of words on index cards and had them like all over the table trying to, okay, what, what could work here? What, what is this emotion? Do I want to say like a different, which word do I really want to say here? And so sometimes that works. Sometimes that works better. It just, I, I need to change it up. I can't stay still. I'm, I get too anxious. <laughs> right. Right. Is this a common theme for you with like being hard on yourself about, you know, the process or what you've produced? Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I I have a rule that I can't create and edit at the same time because mm. if I, the second I start editing, then I start getting into this critical mind of trying to make it better, better, better. Whereas if I'm creating, then I can just let it flow and then, and then I can edit it later. I'll trust, I'll trust that I'll cut out the bad parts later. Right. But yeah, being hard on myself. Yeah. That's, 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 in there and something I am constantly working on letting go. Oh my gosh. That's like word for word what I think every musician I've had on here says. <laughs> Con- it's like this constant grind of like, is this good? I don't know if it's good. And then like, you know, they'll send me their stuff and I'm like, oh, I really like this song. They're like, I hate that song. And I'm like, <laughs> what? What do you mean? And like how the, the musician creates and they don't hear the same thing that you hear and what you like, you know? It's so true. It's so true. And I have to remind myself of that too, because I do want to listen to it with a listener's ears, not a musician's ears, not someone that, you know, sees the similarities between Thelonious Monk and Pavement or these random bands that no one's heard of. Like I want something that's actually accessible to people because I want to communicate with people. And if I'm speaking in some esoteric musical language, it doesn't, it doesn't get, get heard. Right. Now, do you sit down to the piano or whatever device you're using and do you suddenly do something and you're like, this is it, like this is going to be boom, 10 minutes done or anything like that? So I've never had a 10 minute song, but I have definitely had a few times and these are the best times ever when I go, oh, that's the hook. Like that's Mm. it. This is going to be it. This is, this is a song that I know I'm recording because this hook is so good. And I, I honestly, there's a couple songs that I, I don't think I'll ever forget them because it feels so good. And you're like, where did this come from? I have no idea. This wasn't me, but cool. I'll take it. Are you one of those, are you ever like you're doing something random and then like lyrics come into your mind and like you just have to write them down or something like that? I actually am not yet, but I honestly want to be. So I keep I keep praying that I'll start getting that gift. So you can, <laughs> you can help me out. I'd appreciate it. I hear that. Like sometimes people are like, or, you know, somebody's asleep and they're like, just have this dream or like something enters their mind. Like, oh, I have to like record this now or I have to write this down because you'll forget, you know, potentially something amazing or something like that, you know? Yeah, I also hear about people who can hear songs fully finished, like right away. What? Like they're like, oh, I got it. Like like it's like the whole song was downloaded to them. And I'm like, that is no. not me. Like I hear things in parts. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, I don't. I don't know how people do that. 
Wow, that's amazing. I don't think I've ever heard that. That's like a crazy gift if it's like psh, done. Like, like wow, <laughs> that would know, be incredible. Right? Now, do you do all the instruments and all the instrumentation or do you collaborate with other people? No, I collaborate with other people. I have a producer, his name is Ted Curry, who I work with. I've worked with on all, all of these songs that you've seen. I've worked with other producers too, but he's the one that mm-hmm. I co-write the most with. And he will... Um, he'll do a lot of those instruments and he'll, he'll be the one that's like, Oh, let's, let's put a guitar here. And I'll go, Oh, okay. Or we had a song recently where I was like, I really want a timpani. <laughs> he like laughing. He was like a timpani. Yeah. Like you mean an orchestra timpani? I'm like, yes, timpani. We need a timpani. So we got it. But yeah, he's, he's the brains behind the computer. I can't, even though I've, I don't know if you've ever tried to use one of the, those production software mm-hmm. um, programs. I mean, I can do it kind of, but he can do it way better than I can. Like it's such a gift and a skill and the people that are doing it, you know, eight hours every day, God bless them. Cause <laughs> <laughs> that's not where I want to be. Oh, well, when did you start? Like, I know you've been doing this most of your life, but when was the process where you're like, I'm going to start making albums. This is like what I'm going to do. When did that start in earnest for you? Yeah, so honestly, the idea of starting in earnest to really get it out there was probably only two years ago. Before that, I had played in bands for a lot of years, and we've always, you know, made albums and written songs. And I played in a band uh, in LA, and we were still trying to get out there. But then some things happened, and we it seemed like we had some momentum going. And once we had that momentum going, some people wanted to go one way and other people wanted to go the other way. And it was, that's when it, it really like, like the rubber hit the road for me. I was like, I, I want to do this. Like, what am I doing? Why am I half in, half out? Like, let's go for mm, it. Yeah. And so that was, I guess actually that was more like three or four years ago because I had, I then was kept trying to do it with another band. And then finally I realized, you know what, if I'm really serious about this, I could sit around and wait and try to find the right people and like keep looking almost like, honestly, it was like, um, it's like online dating in so many ways. It was <laughs> painful. It's like, or I could just do this all by myself. Yeah. And that's what I decided to do. And that's when things got really serious because I was accountable to me and I was the only one telling myself no. So I could tell myself to just sit down and <laughs> keep going. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what the scene's like for you right now with, COVID and LA and, you know, I, I, I remember, I hear about the, you know, remember eighties LA, you know, and, and the whole, this, the rock scene there and how it's transformed and what's the scene like right now there? I mean, I know it's COVID-19 and all that, but what's the vibe like? Yeah, the vibe is, i I mean, it's pretty quiet and it's almost like I can't even, it feels like so long ago where it wasn't. And yeah, back before that, like before COVID, it was fun. I was, tr- I was playing clubs and things like that. And that was, that was really fun and just like kind of party scene and, uh, different than kind of the rock or the indie rock kind of, uh, live music scene. And uh, it was, it was fun and lively and vibrant. And yeah, it's definitely, definitely not right now, unfortunately figuring it out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, where do you see the music industry currently? I love talking to artists about it, you know, cause obviously with like the digital environment and streaming the whole thing, what, what is that like for you or your opinion of it? Yeah. I, I'm still trying to figure that out because for me personally, and I'd love your opinion on this too, but when mm-hmm. COVID first hit, I felt saturated with live performances and all these mm. other people, not from me, but from other people. And I, I personally didn't even want to do a live stream because I was like, I can't watch another live stream. I don't know how anyone (laughs) else can. Yeah. And so it's going to be interesting because I think we all crave and miss. I miss seeing strangers. I miss honestly being like shoulder to shoulder with people. Yeah. I miss all the aspects of a concert. And I think it's going to be hard to duplicate that, but there's got to be a way. And I... I think I think people are going to be able to figure it out um, how to how to create some semblance of that um, interaction without us all having to be in one space all the time. 
One of the things interesting is I keep up with a lot of this stuff, and I, I think you're going to see kind of the there's little things coming out here and there. And I think in the music industry, I had a guy on. Oh my gosh, it's like Festival Pass, the creator of Festival Pass. Mm, cool. And uh, so they're doing a lot of live streaming and things of that nature. But he actually expects the music industry to be bigger than ever after this. Mm. And for concerts and those things. But I think you're starting to see a little bit of it in the news and things where that um like Qantas Airlines the other day is going to require COVID vaccination for international travel. And I think you might see the same thing for concerts and live venues is that hey, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna come to this concert, stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody. Everybody there's gonna know they had a vaccination for it potentially. That's kind of where I see things potentially going. I mean, I don't know if I'm right, but um, I think the live music element will come back. I just, I just think it'll be more like an airport in some ways, you know, um, or this digital passport to go to different places potentially. I don't think you're wrong. I think it seems perfectly logical. And not only that, once we do have widespread vaccines or somehow feelings of safety again, I do think we're going to be dying to go out there. Like be I dying. cannot wait. Yeah, like. It's going to be packed if that's at all possible, right? So I think so. I totally think so. Actually, I think we're very extreme in things with with humans. Yes, and yes, I think we are. we're so dying for stuff that you're going to see stadiums more packed than ever. I know it sounds weird to say right now, but people are desperate. They're going to go to like shows. Maybe they're like, I don't really like going to this show. I'll go to any show. <laughs> like I'll go yeah. to see anything. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> I am fascinated to see though what happens. I think Dua Lipa had a show, has been doing shows more recently that seem a little bit more interactive. I actually haven't looked into them, so I shouldn't mm-hmm. say too much. But and I think people are starting to do VR shows and like yeah. or like Erica Badu show or how people are doing different things. Like it is very cool what people are figuring out how to what people are figuring out to create. And I think that's what's going to be. What's going to make the music industry bigger is even though it's been devastating, is that it, it, it's taught people who are running these large venues and businesses like, hey, I can have in-person events and I'll also stream for people who can't make it to these concerts. That yeah. So all of a sudden, like your small, like these hidden gem local live clubs, you might be able to stream into those along with the people who are there. So you might get like double the attention than you were normally getting. Yeah. Well, and especially if, God forbid, all these venues stay closed, which I think yeah. people are thinking that some of them are going to be, then there's just going to be less venues, which will maybe raise quality and raise attendance mm-hmm. at, at all the other shows too. So, Yeah, I, like- I think it's coming back big time. I really do. I just think, I remember like, after 9-11, like nobody was flying on planes. And I remember because mm-hmm. I flew a lot right after that. And mm-hmm. I was always like one of very few people on the plane. And then within like two years, you couldn't, I mean, it was packed on planes, packed. And and before COVID, packed on planes constantly. Yeah. And uh, I just think that we are a society of people that we just, we, we lob back and forth like a ball to things. <laughs> We just do. Like we're very extreme in our behaviors, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And we react too, right? Like we're reacting to this fact that we're all locked up instead of being intentionally asking ourselves, what do, what do we want to create once this is, yeah. once this is all over? Yeah. You know, that's I, something I struggle great. with because, go ahead. Interesting. Something you struggle with, you were saying, sorry. Yeah, no, I, the, something I struggle with is, um, is what do I actually want to create once COVID is over? Because I know as much as I love going dancing, I love going out. Obviously, I love going to concerts and performing and all of that. But I also am loving the quiet time. Like I'm also loving the lack of social obligations and uh, other things like that. And it's like, okay, how am I going to balance this once once this all comes comes back? It's going to be interesting. I think so. I mean that that's interesting that there are some, there is some level of that that's really nice. I actually agree with you on that. I'd like the quietness, kind of the log cabin feel sometimes, mm-hmm. and the separation. But I also like being uh, social as well. I think for musicians, I just I wonder how that reintegration to society is going to be. And and are you getting? This may sound weird, but 
Are you creating music during this time that may be different than you normally would? Yeah, I think definitely because, and I'm also looking at different, even slightly different genres or different inspirations because it feels like such an exploratory time that it's almost like, why not? I should be following my whim. I've, I've been even been painting, which I am not a visual artist. Hmm. I've been painting, uh, just doing, doing things that engage my creativity in different ways, even if they never see the light of day. Cause I like, it feels okay to do that right now. It does. I always say with people, it's like, you know, just create in a vacuum and it doesn't matter what people think about it. You know, it's just, it's just artistic expression. I use my podcast purely for that. Like I talk to so many people from so many different walks of life and, and, uh, whatever it comes out is whatever it is and whatever the reaction is, whatever it's going to be, <laughs> you know, I can't awesome. control that, you know, yeah. like people are going to think what they want to think. But do you think that I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Do you create better music through tragedy or through happiness? <laughs> I'm laughing because this is something I actually think about a lot. Mm. I create better better music for sure through tragedy. And a mm. funny story that my one of my first bands, um, the woman who front who is the front person of it is her name is Nikki Smith. And she's this amazing songwriter, amazing guitarist. And she was having a tumultuous love life at various times when we were all in the band together. And when she would come back and, and say, oh, I broke up again, me and the drummer would look at each other and like secretly say like, oh, good. Yes, we're going to get some great music. <laughs> like we're like, we knew she wasn't right for you anyway. So yeah. um, it's... It, it, I think it is an, an unfortunate fact of life that like the best art in so many ways comes from the conflict. Like I don't know how to, how to express to like express pure happiness in a song. It's actually really, really difficult. I've, I've never <laughs> been able to do it in a way that I actually like. It's always felt kind of trite or cheesy or <laughs> any of those things. And I, I need the, I need the conflict as the balance I find. So, so crazy. Actually, I was talking to my wife about a similar thing about this. It was about uh, acting. I'm not, I'm not an acting, but I've, I was reading like all these different articles and actors saying that it was much easier to express anger and pain mm. and mm -hmm. tragedy versus pr expressing happiness on screen mm. for that. And it seems like, in my observation of people that you know, anger and um, judgment and negativity come very easy to humans. It's a very yeah. easy expression. But being like really happy, purely happy and expressing that seems so hard for people, you know. Yeah. You know, I was watching a TV show the other day and one of the quotes from it was, it was from Madam Secretary, it was on Netflix Thanksgiving weekend. Um, it was about how love, being in love is uncomfortable for anyone who's not in it. And that struck me as so, I was like, oh my God, that's so true. And I think it's the same thing for happiness a lot of times, unfortunately, that if someone is like really deliriously happy and you're not in that state, like if I'm not in that state and someone is happy, sometimes it's really jarring. It's uncomfortable. It's, yeah. and not that I want that person not to be happy, but it's just, it's, I find it jarring. Right. It can be hard to be around it. And and you're like, what's the state of being that this person's in, you know, for that? But I feel like a lot of people can identify with like the mass negativity that could happen. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah. that's right. You know, and like they just glom onto it. And maybe this sadness and the this being down low and music seems to create incredible pieces of work over time. Yes. Like crazy, crazy crazy pieces of work. I even think like a lot of like you hear of like 60s and 70s bands who were under heavy influence of drugs. Like they never created better work than when they were under the influence of something, oh you know, their yeah. altered state. The band, like one of my favorite bands of all time, the band, they were like just on drugs the whole time when they wrote right. anything that was good. Like, or Thelonious <laughs> Monk is another example of right. just uh, terrible addiction. And it's, you know, I, it's sad to think that we would need to be a tortured artist in order to create those things. And I, I don't think we need to live there in order to create those states. 
But I do think we need to be able to draw on it and draw on that pain and draw on, honestly, the human condition, like where people live. What I think is interesting too is like, I always associate like when an artist becomes really successful, like it's weird, like, and they start like cleaning up their life and they get really stable. The music usually is garbage at that point. It's usually really terrible. (laughs) Like, how do you deal with that? You know, like, how do you create something when you're, you know, it feels like the first album or when the person was starving or struggling, it's like that angst, that, that drive is what gave them this amazing music, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I personally try so hard just to connect with the, the part of me that wants to hear that music. Like I almost write for myself at age 17. Like, oh. Like, because that way I can keep, it feels very authentic, very raw and honest for me, but it's also the things that, that I'm the most interested in at that age, which are the sadness, the pain, the, the heartbreak. Um, I'm still trying to find some other topics to sing about that that are that compelling but at the end of the day those are so universal um even if it's not about heartbreak in a romantic relationship there's always so much heartbreak in other relationships and with careers or places so that's what i that's how i try to keep it authentic even though i am honestly a very happy person (laughs) Even though like I how to be an effective <laughs> musician while being happy, you know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, you don't want to like, like have bad, like, like, let me, ha- let me like really do something bad to put myself in a bad position so I can make great music. <laughs> like, well, but people have done that over the years and it's, I mean, it's crazy. I, I don't, I don't know how I, I value my happiness more, I think, unfortunately, but fortunately I should say, but, um, I think people have done that and paid the price. Yeah. I, that's why I think it's hard, I think, to sustain a really amazing uh, career in music that I've observed with people over time where, like, the, the music keeps getting better and better. Mm. You're like, wow, the fifth album is, like, even better than the first. When do you ever hear that? <laughs> I mean, like. Yeah, it is it, rare. It's unheard of. It is really rare. I'm trying to think of. I mean, I'm thinking someone like a Leonard Cohen who had such mm-hmm. an enduring career or David Bowie or Prince. I mean, Ooh, Prince, yeah. talk about just a drive to create. Yes. Right? He just like, it was for him about the music. I mean, I know he had his own demons and things like that, but it never felt like he was tortured. I don't know right. if that's, I, I'm not a Prince like expert, so maybe I'm completely yeah. off, but it always felt like it was his drive to create, not out of creating solely out of a place of pain. Yeah. And what I wonder too, I'd love to hear you talk about this is, do you think that musicians are always in it for the musicianship and the actual music? Or is it, there are other reasons, obviously like money or just, you know, attention. I mean, can you tell the difference between a musician who's really into it for the creativity and not? That's a, that's a tough one. I don't know if it's possible to always tell because some people I think are talented enough that they can in some ways hide it. And especially if the drive is doing it for affirmation or for accolades or to be loved, then sometimes that comes out in the music in the best way, right? Singing about needing to be loved is can be really beautiful. Uh so I I personally don't feel like I can tell always, but I'm sure there's there's certainly people for whom it feels like it's um it's maybe not as much about the music. But I also question whether does it matter, do you think? Hmm. I don't know. I, I mean I never really thought about it, <laughs> honestly, yeah. if it mattered or not. But I mean huh. like if, if if someone's writing amazing music or performing amazingly well. And they're doing it just because they need to fill a void in their own life. I mean, is that so different than like what music does for me as an individual? Like I'm just, I'm just, I'm honestly, I'm curious. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, do you, do you see 
Now, this is interesting to me. Do you see, like, you are classically trained, it sounds like, so I'm sure you, like, read sheet music and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then clearly there's musicians who don't know how to do that at all. Yeah, uh-huh. How does, how does that mix? Like, is it just, I, I wonder what that difference is. Somebody who just, like, well, I don't know how to read this, but I know how to, I listen to things, and then I create. What's kind of the difference or the dynamic in your mind? I think it depends on the person's musicianship. There's some people who can't do things technically and it's because I want to say like they almost lack the discipline, but there's a lot of people like I I have a friend who's an incredible guitarist and an incredible musician and her parents are musicians as well. And they intentionally said, no, you're not allowed to read music just learn this by ear, learn, figure this all out by ear. And even now when someone tells her to play a G chord on the, on the guitar, she's like, she has to think about which shape that is because she doesn't know it in the way that we conventionally talk about it, which I think at times has maybe held her back a little bit in that she doesn't always feel as confident sometimes, but at the same time, like she's an incredible musician and no one would ever question her abilities. And I I think it's also, it's helped her it's helped her own creative abilities to not get bogged down in those kind of details. So I don't think less of anyone who doesn't have those skills personally. And I know that there's been times when I've wished I could forget some of the things that I know about music theory, for instance, so that I could just, you know, feel it. Um, But I'm also really grateful for it. So it cuts both ways. I find interesting. Do you think that understanding music theory is, gives you an edge or is it just, it's just another component to creating music for you? So from, for my brain, it gives me an edge in the sense that I'm putting together a puzzle. Like I, I, I know where I want to go with this song. So I know the four options I have pretty quickly. Whereas I think a lot of people who, if they know where they want to go and they don't have that theory, then it's harder to know what are the options you know, I, I've, I've already eliminated a bunch. Um, so yeah, I, I find it, I find it really helps my writing, but if I didn't have it, I think I would have figured out how to write differently. Hmm. So. No, that's, yeah. it's really fascinating. I, I think that music feels like therapy a lot of times for yeah. the listener and the creator. Does mm-hmm. that at different points in your life, has it been a huge uh, therapeutic aspect for you? Uh, it's been a, a huge therapeutic aspect, I think, in my life, always. I don't, I don't think it's ever not been. That's mm-hmm. probably why I've taken my piano with me everywhere I've gone. Because mm. even now, just playing classical music, even if I haven't practiced in weeks, that will provide me one level of comfort, almost like, almost like a motherly type of comfort, because it reminds yeah. me of my childhood, where. Or if I'm trying to work something out and I'm just playing random things in the piano, improvising, that's a different level of like, of emotional support. So yeah, it's, it's provided, it's been a, like a friend, a confidant, all of those things, which is kind of crazy to think about it like that, but it has. I always think about like watching movies and there's always a scene in a movie that, or, or a particular movie where like somebody's just playing Moonlight Sonata or something. And it always, mm. it always makes me feel good. It always feels, and the, and the person playing it seems to be in a trance all the time. And is that what it is? Is it just like a meditative deal almost? That's, that's what classical music is for me in a lot of ways, because these are pieces I've played. I mean, I don't even know how many times at this point, possibly like 10,000 times, you know, ridiculously high numbers for some of those pieces. So yeah, I can just sit down. I don't even have to think and my fingers just move. And it just, it is, it's very meditative. And that's not the way I would want to perform that song, right? Like if I was going to play the Chopin piece, for instance, that's like that for me, for other people, I'm, I'm paying more attention. But when I'm just using it for myself, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not even thinking about what I'm playing. It just happens. And the music is kind of washing over me. It's, it's very, it's very cool. I never thought about it being different in the sense that a show performance of say that piece, 
versus you playing, you say you pay more attention. What does that mean? That means I'm, I'm more, I want to say I'm more in the moment actually, because I'm listening to what's coming out of the piano. I'm thinking about what I want to say uh, in the piece. Like, do I, how do I want to say, perform this line? Do I want it to get louder, softer, sweeter, different, different aspects of it. Whereas when I'm kind of in that meditative state, it is just, because I actually don't even think then it's not like I'm channeling something. It doesn't feel like that. It's more, I'm using it as a, as a thing to help my brain think about something else like, or, or give it or give space or it doesn't, it's not as much about the music. So it feels like a different performance. And now I want to like go record those, both of those performances <laughs> and see what happens and see what it actually sounds like. Because yeah, it, and maybe that's the classical musician in me. I'm realizing as we're sitting here talking, like the classical musician would never just like sit down and just let it play and like see what comes out. But, but that's, I don't know, that's how I improvise. So why wouldn't I perform that same way? Ah, it's fascinating. <laughs> We're learning some things here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, I sure. I, I stumbled into it, honestly. <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds like, um, yeah, I, I was like, well, what's the difference? It's like, if you, I don't know. It just sounds like you're getting to the zone. I never forget, I was, I still in Las Vegas for a long time. And in one of the big hotels, they had a piano in there and somebody was, just playing some piece of classical music that was so beautiful. And I remember just sitting down with my daughter and we just sat there for like 20 minutes listening to it. It almost has this magnetic feel mm. when it comes out of the piano. And I'm, I'm curious for you, like when you finish that piece, how do you feel? I, it's for me, I feel usually this, both freedom and groundedness at the same time, like just immense satisfaction. Ooh. It's just, yeah, it feels, feels wonderful. And as you were speaking about that magnetic quality and I'm realizing that's also what gets missed, what often is missing from the live streams, no matter how wonderful our sound systems are at home, they often don't sound the same as, especially a, a live instrument, like a piano or an acoustic instrument, you know? Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> That is, yeah. So when someone's playing piano like that, oh gosh, it just, it does, it draws you in. And, and I think the listener, hopefully, I know when I listen, I get that same grounded, like calmness that yes. I love. Yeah. Do you get that same feeling in, let's say, creating pop music or some mixture of that? That's a good question. I, not when I'm writing, I don't think I get that same calmness. I, I will, when the piece is finished and I'm playing it and singing it, yes, I will get that. But when I'm in the middle of writing it, I don't, I don't get that calm yet. I think I'm still, anytime I get that calm, sometimes like if I just, I'll turn on the tape recorder, for instance, the tape recorder, the, you know, my, <laughs> my, um, phone, and I'll let it run and I'll just improvise and uh, for maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, something like that. And there will be moments in there for sure that get that same feeling. Most of the time, it doesn't sound that good. <laughs> There's barely anything <laughs> usually in there that I use <laughs> personally. Wow. It's amazing. It's, you know, we're kind of, I'm always a big proponent of kind of like the sense of, doing something you love, you care about, that you have a lot of repetition and it is it is very calming, a meditative type thing. It's like mm -hmm. before I came on here to do this podcast with you or with a lot of people, I have a basketball hoop and I always shoot hoops before I do my podcast. And it's like, it's just a time for me. It's like, I don't think I'm just doing something else I enjoy doing. Ball goes to the hoop. It's very satisfying. I'm moving my body and then I come in and I just get centered and I just wait. And I think we often look at meditation in kind of the large sense of like a bunch of people sitting in a room or you're sitting by yourself and your legs are crossed and you are eyes are closed. But 
I think what you're doing at a piano is also meditation. Or what I just did shooting hoops is meditation. We have to broaden our horizons on what that actually means, I think, for people. Wow. I love that. I love that you shoot hoops and that it feels like that. And I get that. Like, I, even though I do not know how to play basketball at all <laughs> and I'm a ter- terrible at it, but I can totally imagine, maybe I'm just em- envisioning like Kobe practicing before a game, yeah. you know, like with the perfect form, but that's got to be so satisfying and meditative for sure. Yeah. Why is that, that we don't, why don't we consider that kind of thing meditation? I think is what society is telling us is that, you know, this should be done or, um, in a quiet space and you need to be quiet and you need to be with your thoughts Mm. or these things need to occur for the meditation to happen. And I'm of the mindset that it actually could be almost anything that you feel like you're in the zone doing where time and space disappear or time dilation occurs and you're just one with whatever happens. And I think a lot of times you kind of need to be like you with playing piano. You're so good at it. It's, you get in the zone so you're, you can allow yourself to kind of your ego to dissipate while you're doing yeah. it. And for yeah. me, I'm not saying I'm a great basketball player, but I'm good enough where I like make a lot of baskets, do a lot of totally. different moves and things where I can be like, it's enjoyable because I'm decent at it. And sure. seeing the ball go through the hoop and hearing the swish and the net make the sound, it's enjoyable for that. Some people get that in running. Running's meditation. If you enjoy it, you get in the zone and you lose sense of time and space and, and your reality is almost changed, your consciousness. I argue that that could be almost anything. Mm. that these things line up together. But I always feel that sense when somebody plays a piano, when I listen to them, I feel like all those other variables fade and I become part of that performance with the person. Mm. Yeah, those are the best performances. I I know for me, one of my biases with all this is that something will need to be difficult or should be hard. Like meditation... Mm-hmm isn't worth it unless it's hard. Mm. I don't know where that came from, but that's something I know I'm, I, I, I love your concept of basketball and running and all of these different things as meditation, because that's, that just shows it doesn't have to be this like difficult thing. Yeah. And I think sometimes we distract ourselves from getting into that zone or whatever it is. Like one of the reasons I have chose, I chose Zencaster to do my podcast is because there's like a wave line format mm-hmm. onto it. And I've had guests say that it feels meditative because they'll be talking to me while watching the lines move. And all of a sudden they just kind of like everything disappears. And they're just this meditative line of their voice and wave format just going across the screen. Um, and sometimes when I see people, well, I used to do stuff where I would see people, when I'd see them, I'd be distracted by their aesthetic appearance and looking at that. But if I just hear their voice, it puts me in a much better mood. I'm a better interviewer when I don't see people. <laughs> I've noticed that. I can so relate to that. It's because it's, there's nothing to get distracted by. Yes. And also not, um, for me, I take so much from people's visual cues. Like, right. because this isn't on video, I'm listening so much more intently, yes. I think, to things that you're saying. That's exactly right. And so I... I've made a conscious decision to like, I'm just going to have this be audio, but it also takes a layer away of people where they don't have to think about getting, being more presentable on camera. Cause that's like a, like, an, a deal with people. Like know? I did five minutes before. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh, How better put I on look? a clean t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. I want to make sure this comes across, blah, blah, blah. And I think if you take as many of the distractions or the kind of this nervous presentation aspects out, you're allowing the person to get into the zone and speak freely and be more themselves. And I think it always comes out more authentic, at least in my case, for that with people I have no clue who they are. I don't know anybody almost that I talk to. It sounds like we kind of know each other a little bit more because we're able to mm-hmm. let go a little bit more. Yeah, I get that. I, I also also talk to people I don't know very often. And one of the things that I notice is that sometimes I, I start thinking, oh, are they, do they like me? Right. I start thinking like, oh, do they like me? Is this a good, is this, are they, are they happy? Are they, how are they reacting to it? 
And it's so much easier to do that on video because either someone makes like a, a different smile or different, there's different mm-hmm. things that happen. And it's when I'm on audio, it's, I don't, my brain doesn't even go there, I find, which is fascinating to me. It is fascinating. So I, I just, I'm, I love musicians. I really enjoy kind of the creation process of those things. But I wanted to ask you before we go was, how did you come up with your stage name, Shimshia? Ah, good question. So my dad's family is from this country called Malta, which is this little island below Sicily. And the language there is like a combination of Arabic and English and uh, Italian and things like that. So there's lots of lots of X's and J's and mm-hmm. in the language. And there's this cool town there called Shimshia, spelled slightly more complicated than mine. But I always just thought that that was such a cool name when we would talk about talk about it. It's this beautiful little seaside town. It's tiny. And so when it came time to uh, think about names, I, it it was on my short list. And I was like, nope, it just felt right because it feels like it's, you know, it's my dad and my dad's family. And so it's just, it feels very, feels very much to me. Wow. That's cool. I mean, I love hearing stories like that about kind of the background of why things are. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. I always love talking to people, but musicians are my favorite, hands down, because it's just creativity is incredible to me. Well, I could tell you asked amazing questions and got me thinking about all these things that I hadn't even thought about in ways I hadn't. So I'll I'll be, trust me, when I write my next song, I'll be very grateful because I'll be like, (laughs) oh, thank God I thought about it. It, It's spurring a lot of creativity. So I really appreciate it. That's great. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for coming on. And uh, I look forward to people hearing this. So Shemshia, everyone. So pumped to have the conversation. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. This is awesome. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut or the dose of news useful today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine, and when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences, and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.